0: Good morning. I'm Mark Blair. Today we're going to be reading um, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. It can be found on page uh, 831 in the pew Bible, your pew Bible. Thank you so much for your patience. I know a little hot in here when you first arrived. We were supposed to have the air conditioning on. They told me exactly what to do. I did exactly what they said and nothing happened. (laughs) But uh, fortunately, they were only 40 minutes away, and they got here a couple of minutes ago. Turned everything on, uh, figured out what the problem was, and so it should be cooling down. So, as I see everybody waving, I'm going to say I'm waving back. <laughs> so again, that's uh, on page 831. We're reading Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him, He will be gathered all nations and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me And did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to any one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Mark. Uh, Mar- uh, my name's Adam. i one of the pastors here at Hope Community Church. Uh, Mark and uh, Joe Engelman lead up our property team, and Mark uh, takes care of the inside. And so when things don't come on and turn on, he's the one that feels all the pressure and the anxiety, uh, and uh, he does a great job. So uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. Like. It feels like Florida today. Um, uh, Thankfully, we don't have the cockroaches and everything else that comes with Florida, but uh, it definitely uh, feels like it a little bit. But uh, thankful for Mark and his work and and trying to keep us somewhat uh, comfortable uh, today. Happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads um, that are in the room, both uh, physical and biological fathers. But also what I'm really grateful uh, in the life of our church is the spiritual fathers that are in this room. Uh, this week, I uh, got to take part of a, a soul care institute uh, through Crosspoint Ministries. And we were talking about, in that cohort this week, we were talking about a community. And a, a huge part of community is finding someone who's ahead of me and having them mentor me. And what I'm really grateful of for our church is that we have a wide range of uh, age demographics in our church and so guys if you're a young guy like me and you want to find I would encourage you to find someone who's just ahead of you or maybe a little a lot ahead of you and uh, look around the room and look for some silver foxes around here um, and go out to lunch uh, one guy in our church he doesn't call himself a silver fox he calls himself the gray possum um, <laughs> But if uh, find a silver fox or a gray possum and uh, have lunch, have coffee with them, pick their brains, learn from their life experience. Uh, I know that uh, I have men like that in my life that I'm so grateful for, and so we want to uh, just encourage that. That spiritual mentorship, that spiritual fathership, that can happen in a, in a place like Hope Community Church. But uh, men, would you stand? And we'll just define men in eighteen years and above. How about that? All right, men, would you stand? Let's have a word of prayer for all the men in our church. We're really grateful for all the, the fathers, biological uh, fathers, spiritual fathers. And I'm also, as we pray, I'm also aware that today can a day, on, a Father's Day can be complicated. That there may be some in the room that you may not have a a good uh, relationship with your earthly father. And so, man or woman, that when Father's Day perhaps could be difficult for you because you carry some wounds and some hurt um, from your earthly father. So just want to acknowledge that and and say that we're aware of that and we're praying for you um, at that time. But if you find yourself in that situation where... You maybe you have some hurt from your earthly father, or maybe this morning you're grieving because your, your earthly father has, has died and passed away. If you find yourself in that situation, I hope that you hear and know that there's a father in heaven, and that father is the father you always wanted. He's the father you always needed and you longed for, and he's calling you to himself. So I hope that you hear that and feel his presence today. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the men that are standing right now. Thank you for uh, just for their influence they have in their families, in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces. And we pray that you would have your hand of blessing upon us as we seek to lead our families and point point our kids uh, towards you. Thank you for the spiritual fathers that are in this room, the mentors that pour themselves out to so many people. I thank you for them. I pray you continue to expand their ministry, expand their impact. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Today we continue in our series through uh, the book of Matthew. Over the last few weeks, we've been seeing Jesus touch on an interesting topic. And that topic is uh, end times and the end of end of the age. I had a seminary professor said that if you want to make a lot of money and sell a lot of books, write a book about end times. And that's not Jesus' intention here at all. But Jesus touches on the topic of end times and end end of the age. And throughout this teaching on it, he doesn't really answer all the questions someone might have about end times. Jesus never says when uh, he's coming back or when the end of the age is going to happen. He never gives a timeline of events. He gives some clues of the end times, but it isn't clear as one would think. And that was kind of his point. Because I don't think he wanted people to be distracted from why he is coming back. His point in the previous chapters that we've seen over these last few weeks about end times wasn't to say when he was coming back, but that he is coming back and that we as his followers need to be ready and prepared and to wait. But here's the thing about waiting. Yes, it can be hard. I think of you know kids on Christmas morning. Yes, it can be hard to wait. But if we're not careful as we wait, we, waiting could make us complacent. We saw a couple of weeks ago earlier in Matthew 25, Jesus says to watch, to wait, to stay awake. He says that to his disciples towards the end of his life. Even, even, even in the garden when he was praying to the Father, they fell asleep. And he even says, could you not even stay awake and pray with me for a while? So yes, waiting it can be hard, but if we're not careful, it could make us complacent. Because there's something about our human nature that as we watch and wait, we can get bored. And boredom can lead to complacency or even slothfulness and laziness. And Jesus kind of warns about that by saying at the end of Matthew 24 to stay awake, stay alert, be active. And we stay awake and by preparing for his return. And he gives us some ideas on how to do that by moving towards repentance. We stay awake by moving towards repentance. We stay awake by maintaining hope. And pursuing holiness. And then we see today we stay awake by moving towards people and sacrifice and service. All of this is contained in what scholars for centuries have referred to as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. It's basically a sermon or teaching of Jesus on the Mount of Olives in Israel. And it happens towards the end of his earthly ministry. And like any good sermon or lesson, you have an introduction. In that introduction, the speaker is usually not just introducing what is going to be taught, but might sprinkle in a story or something to grab the attention of those listening. After introduction, you have, you typically have explanation, where the speaker is explaining what the scripture means, or in school, a teacher will explain a topic, fact, concept to their students. And then after those two things, introduction and explanation, you have, uh, application. What are the listeners to do what, what has been introduced and explained? What are they supposed to do with it? This is where spiritual truth or reality is brought home and impacts the way someone lives. Or in a classroom where a teacher would explain not just what's going to be on the math test, but how a student could make and keep a budget. Introduction, explanation, and application is making the journey from fact concept truth down to down below the surface line to change formation and embodiment and that's what jesus is doing in matthew 24 and 25 he starts out he says the temple is going to be destroyed and to his jewish listeners that would have grabbed their attention Then the disciples come to him and ask him to explain the signs of the end of the age. And so Jesus explains to them a little bit, and he gives some clues, but doesn't totally reveal everything about that. Finally, he funnels all this down into Matthew 24 and 25 to where he brings it home and he says, with these realities of the end of the age and my return, here's how you need to live. Here's how you need to build your life. This is what you need to embody. Here are some rhythms you need to have in your life as you stay awake and get ready for the end of the age and my return. We saw last week that Jesus told his followers to be alert, to prepare for his return, to repent, and he calls them to holiness. And this sermon or teaching of Jesus here, this Olivet Discourse, uh, it was really important because it happened the last week uh, of his life, uh, the week of his crucifixion. So this discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, this isn't just a come here, sit on my knee, Mr. Rogers moment. There's some very real urgency here. Because in just a matter of weeks, he would die, be raised from the dead, and then ascend into heaven. And my hope today for us is that as Jesus explains to disciples how they can stay awake and alert... As they awaited for his return, by being sacrificial people that we today would be compelled by the good news of Jesus to love, serve, and move towards tangible needs for the good of people as we patiently and actively wait for his return. Last week we focused on the fourth parable in this Olivet Discourse of the stewards, which was using the kingdom commodities that God has given for his glory. Chris made the point that everything is his property. Everything is God's property. Everything in the universe is his. So these commodities are things like justice, mercy, truth, seeking the lost. These things are his property. These are his commodity. These are gospel realities And so while we stay awake, we are entrusted and called to invest these commodities, these things in the world around us. So things like justice, mercy, truth, seeking the lost. We're to invest those into the world around us. So our passage today takes place during this application this is the very end of the Olivet Discourse. We're on the home stretch of the book of Matthew, and Jesus is going to explain the final judgment here. So, in verse 31, look at it again with me, as Mark just read. In verse 31, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd shepherd, separates the sheep from the goats. What Jesus is saying here is that when he returns with the angels, he will sit on his throne. This passage is about the final judgment. But here Jesus is saying, yes, I will return as a righteous judge, but I will also return as a king. And in the rest of the parable, he will refer to himself as the son of man and as the king. He's the king in this parable. So again, here in Matthew, we see the divine authority of Jesus. A consistent theme throughout Matthew and the rest of the Gospels, and and honestly, all of Scriptures, is the supreme authority of Christ. Jesus is going to explain in his final commission in Matthew 28, as we'll see coming up, Jesus says that he has all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So in this scene, in this parable, we have Jesus returning as a judge and king, and before him... All the nations are gathered before him. And he says he will separate people from one another like a shepherd separates their sheep from the goats. Now, I don't know a lot about farming. I really don't. I'd be really making a fool of myself if I tried to explain how this works. But I do know that sheep and goats are kind of similar, right? Like they have four legs. (laughs) They eat grass, I think. And um, they may be similar to each other in some ways, but I do know enough that sheep and goats are not the same. And there's a connection here, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25. There's a connection back to what we saw like a year ago in Matthew 13 when Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. In that parable, a man planted good seed in his wheat field. But then his enemy came in behind him at night and planted weeds that looked like wheat in the same field. As time went on and the weed and the wheats uh, grew, the the difference was visible. And at the right time at harvest, the man separated the wheat and the weeds. The point of that parable was that Jesus is going to separate those that believe in him and those that don't. Though they may look like followers of his, they really are not. And there will be judgment for those that do not believe and follow him. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going to separate people. How is he going to do that? Look in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on on his right. So he's starting with those on his right. Come. You who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In a kingdom, the place of honor is the right is the right hand of the king. It is the position of favor and influence. That's kind of the idea of the, maybe a phrase that we might throw around is the right hand man. And Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, at the right hand position, that position of favor and privilege are those. That have been blessed by the Father and they will inherit the kingdom. And this kingdom was prepared for them since the foundation of the world. This sounds similar to Ephesians 1 when Paul tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And in those spiritual blessings, he says that those that believe and follow Christ in love, God has predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ. And in that adoption, the Apostle Paul says, we have obtained an inheritance. And Jesus gives us this same idea here in Matthew 25, that this inheritance is the kingdom of God. All that God provides and where he is present and those that believe and follow Jesus, that inheritance is access and that access is the greatest possible access is because we have relationship with him. And if you're not a follower of Jesus or if you have questions about faith, our hope is that you would hear the opportunity to be counted as blessed by God with a relationship with him. That you would hear that there is an inheritance of access and a relationship with Christ. Then if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope that you know that God sees you. God sees you and he is for you and he has given access to himself to you. He's made a way for you to have intimacy with Christ. But what is provided in this inheritance of access and relationship with Jesus This relationship is going to affect the way we live and what we do. Because then further down in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are saved by the grace of God through Christ. And then that change that happens through his grace, that inward, deep change results in good works. And these good works reveal what is going on below the surface line. What is happening on the inside, the transformation that has taken place by the grace of Jesus Because Jesus says that we practice loving him by showing our allegiance to him and staying awake for his return by how we love and care for one another. So he goes on to explain this in verse 35. Look at it again. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So here Jesus goes, is going on to say that the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? See, Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. And the righteous said, When did we see this? And when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When were you a stranger and we welcomed you? And when were you naked and we clothed you? Then when you were in prison or sick, and when did we visit you? So in this scenario or scenario or parable that Jesus is giving, those that are righteous are a little bit confused by what he's saying. They're saying, we didn't do this to you. We did this to other people. Not because a king wouldn't be hungry or thirsty or that it would be rare to consider a king a stranger or you wouldn't see a king walking around naked or that you didn't hear about kings needing to be visited in prison or when they were sick. But because the righteous here in their service and care, come from a place of that is who they were. The the righteous had been changed so much to the point that they didn't even realize they were doing it for the king. Their hearts had been changed from selfish to sacrificial. And they would put their own wants, needs, and desires aside for others. To where when Jesus said that you did all these four things for me, the righteous, they're confused by it because they were doing it for the good of the people that they were serving and caring for. The righteous weren't doing it for some kind of recognition or any other benefit. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that a natural byproduct of being one of his followers is a care and service for other believers and an outward focus onto the needs of the world. It's natural. In verse 40, Jesus says, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. His point is that he's identifying himself with his followers, those who have trusted in him with, as a brother, as a sister, as a sibling. And as his followers serve love and care for one another, they are preparing for his return. They're staying awake, they're staying active, and as they serve others, it's as if they are directly serving him. There's a, there's a part of this that we have to be careful about with this passage, because if we're careful, we, if we're not careful, we could begin to believe that when we serve those around us and when we do good works, we could do those in order to get to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Because we see consistently throughout Scripture that salvation cannot be earned by what we do. It only happens because of the redemptive work of Christ. But also because those that are considered righteous in this section of Scripture are surprised to hear that their works have even been noticed. They're surprised because they weren't trying to earn some kind of merit. They were surprised because they weren't trying to earn some kind of salvation. They were surprised by it. And clearly their, their acts, the, the acts of the righteous, their service of feeding the hungry, welcoming the strangers, visiting those in prison and, and the sick, were not done to earn some kind of spiritual credit to get into heaven, but because that is who they were. They had been radically changed by the work of Jesus Christ to where the point it came naturally for them. So as we actively wait and stay awake for the king's return... We must serve those in our lives not to earn standing with God, but because our hearts have been changed by Jesus. One of the many things I love um, about our church is the love, care, and service that we have for one another. Like, it, it's real. A lot of churches may say that is happening in their, their body, but like, it, it is real here. We take care of each other really well here and I know there's still some ways that we can grow in this but overall we have a place where you can be known and cared for here at hope like hope community church is a place where we can be known not just who we are but what's going on in our lives below the surface this is a place that I've seen you all respond to needs over and over and over again it's been so fun to watch to see you respond to needs that come up consistently. I know this personally. I know it firsthand over the last few years, how you all have loved and cared for me. And many of you have said that this is a place where your family feels safe and heard. It's a place where you can can rest, and we want to continue to cultivate that culture. But if we're not careful and all we do is serve and sacrifice for each other and those of us inside the walls and those that we know, then we run a huge risk of missing opportunities to serve and we're at risk of becoming inwardly focused. Because a relationship with Jesus, union with him, because of his saving grace, is a call to participate with him in what he's doing. I mean, Jesus says he came to seek and to save those that were outside the lost in Matthew 19, or in Luke 19. And then, so if we, were, if we are true followers of Jesus, then we will participate with him in that mission. We will be about the same commodities that he's about. We will be about justice, we'll be about service, we will be about truth. We will be about sacrifice. We will be about healing. And so because of that union with Christ that we have, through his grace, we participate with him and what he is already doing. So my question is, what would that look like if we took what we have here at Hope, the community, the relationships that we have and that happen here, and what if that extended beyond this property? What could happen if we stretched that love that we have received from Christ, the fellowship that we have with each other, and we stepped outside of our comfort zone, maybe took a risk and gave ourselves to the service and good to all people? Because when our hearts have been transformed by Christ, we serve people not because we might get something out of it or because we might get some recognition or just feel good about ourselves, Or we could even be deceived that we could earn a relationship with God and a home in heaven by doing good things. When the reality is that when our hearts have been transformed by Jesus, our service comes naturally toward our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and also those who are outside the family of God. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do we see evidence of the transforming grace of Christ in our lives by the service of others? Can you and I take inventory of our souls and say there is evidence of transformation by Christ because of how we serve all people? Not that the service has, it does anything for us, but it is rooted who we are in Christ. Because here's, to be honest, kind of a scary, a scary reality. It's possible for us to be really good people. And be really generous with what we have, but never have received salvation that changes who we are at our core. We might be able to keep that mask on for a while of good works, but eventually that core will be exposed of never having received salvation. So after addressing the sheep, those that are righteous, the King Jesus will answer the goat's those on his left, those that don't know him. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. For as I was hungry and you gave me no food, I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick or in prison and you did not visit me. Jesus is saying that in the time of need, you did not rise to the occasion. At this moment of judgment, this time of judgment, Jesus is going to say in that time of need, in those opportunities of service, you did not rise to the occasion and there will be judgment. Jesus says they will answer him, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in person or did not minister to you? They're saying, we never did this. We we were unaware. So Jesus responds to them. He says, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So here in Matthew 25, this is a word of judgment. Jesus is saying that those who do not stay awake and alert for his coming by serving his his brethren, his believers and followers will face judgment. See, when our hearts have not been transformed by the work of Christ, our hearts have this tendency to turn inwards. We may be able to white-knuckle it for a while and do some really good works and and be really generous and be really hospitable, but at at some point that self-preservation strategy could run short. And then we're going to have the tendency to turn inwards. And sometimes if our hearts have not been transformed by the work of Christ, that tendency to turn inwards is actually our service. Because we are, in, we are, serving, in, in, we are serving in service of serving. And we, we do that so that way we can earn some kind of favor or feel good about ourselves or feel like we're a good citizen. When in reality that is falling short because we've never been transformed by the, the work of Christ. This parable, this word of judgment, is a test to take away the possibility of hypocrisy. Because if the goats had thought their treatment of Christ would give them access to the kingdom, of course they would have done it. And the sheep are surprised by the result of their work because it didn't come from a place of wanting to gain something. So Jesus takes that hypocrisy out off the table because Jesus desires righteousness in the whole person to where it is embodied, a righteousness that only he can provide and that comes from the very depths of a person, places that only he can change. You and I do not have the willpower to change the inner depths of our hearts and our souls. We can't do it. We can try really hard We can try to be really good people. We can can try to be really generous with our resources, but it doesn't change us. It's only the work of Christ. And then after his work, then there are good works that we can do. What Jesus is teaching here as people respond to the needs of his followers, his brothers and sisters that have been aligned with him, True believers and followers of Jesus will naturally love one another and serve each other and the outside world with compassion, and in doing that, they are serving Christ. Those that have little sympathy for the gospel or the kingdom of Christ or do not have sympathy and compassion for other people or are indifferent to it, they reject Christ. And the consequence of that is judgment. That judgment is rejection by King Jesus and separation from his presence, not because he's cruel, but because he's just. And in the kingdom of God, and justice cannot go unpunished. I think sometimes we have a hard time coming to the terms with the judgment of Christ. Because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. And maybe it, it could even create doubt about the goodness of God. But the judgment of King Jesus actually shows his goodness. Because if he left injustice to go unpunished in his eternal kingdom, then he's not fair. He's not just. He wouldn't be good. And that is not a king worth following, worshiping, and serving our lives to. But because Jesus is just and passes judgment, he's totally worth following, worshiping, and surrendering, surrendering our lives to. He's, not worth, he, he's worth it not just because of his judgment, his justice and judgment, because Jesus is worth following, because all of these things he tells the righteous that, he have done, he, that they have done, Jesus did all of these things that his followers would naturally do for each other. Jesus already did those for us. All these things that a follower of Jesus does naturally, Jesus did, did for us. Jesus fed us when we were spiritually hungry. Jesus provides spiritual food for us. He gave us drink when we were spiritual thirsty. When we are spiritual strangers and estranged from him, Jesus welcomes us. Jesus sees our souls bare and naked before him, and he's not freaked out by it, and he provides clothing and grace. When we are or were spiritually sick, he came to us. And when we are in spiritual prison and had held hostage by our sin, he didn't just visit us, but he freed us from the captivity of sin. Jesus did all of this for us. He did all of this mercy ministry for us, and he did all of us, and then he took the the punishment and the judgment that we deserved. All of this has been provided to us. So the question is, do we believe that? Has our hearts been changed to where we serve each other and others, not for what we get out of it, but because it comes naturally to us, because of the transformation that comes through the gospel of Jesus? How awake are we? How alert are we for his return by serving and caring for all people? This great work that Jesus has done to transform us and change us, to make us to serve and sacrifice has been done through his death and resurrection and it motivates those that follow him to serve and sacrifice for the good of our fellow brothers and sisters and for the good of all people. So as we take communion here in just a moment. Let's meditate on the inward transformation that Jesus provides for us that lives itself out that lives itself out that it spills over into love and care for all people. In just a moment our worship team's going to come and lead us. There'll be some communion servers here at the front. When you're ready, you can come and take of the bread and the juice you'll hear the body of Christ has been broken for you and his blood has been shed for your life as a reminder of the salvation that Christ has provided you if you would like to have prayer we have a prayer team in the out these doors and to the right there's some couches there there's a prayer team there that would love to pray with you and talk with you you may be here and you're interested in how to have a relationship with Jesus these be great folks to talk to about that but as we As we prepare ourselves for communion and for prayer, let's remember the work that Christ has done for us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you have bore our sin, you have died for it, you have paid for it. And because you've taken our sin upon us, you have transformed our hearts and our souls. And so I pray you would motivate us to stay awake to stay alert for your return by serving all people. Give us creativity on how we can serve people. I pray you'd help us to step outside of our comfort zone. Help us to have some conversations with people. Help us to be present to people. Help help us to offer relationship to people that need it because you have changed us in such a way that we we can make you known to the ends of the earth. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. When you're ready, come and take communion.